This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I am joined as always by David Hughes. How are you doing mate? You okay? Not too bad, thank you mate. And I'm joined by, as well, the resurgent Christian Walsh. How are you doing, mate? I'm back from the dead. It's like Lazarus. <laughs> it is good to have you like back Lazarus. on the show. Or Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. <laughs> yeah, I was going to download a, a, a drum roll sound on uh, <laughs> off YouTube or something to, to get you back involved, but uh, I opted against it in the end. But this is a, a Cantona-esque return, I think, um, at Old Trafford against Liverpool, where he scored two in the end. Yeah, yeah, we we sort of an an, an an intrusive sort of Sky Sports style. We've uh, we've sort of manufactured this, so I'm I'm back for the biggest game of all, you know. So you know, me, me band's now expired. Uh, we've moved this podcast, and, and I can be on it for uh, Liverpool versus Man City. Yeah, well, I was going to say that there's a reason that you're back involved with this one. And that was because that it is the biggest game of the season for me, certainly up to now. Um, but before we get to that, we're going to have to address. Well, we're going to have to do this. It's not, not like it's a horrible thing to do, but we're going to talk about Villa and we're going to talk about Genk before we address, obviously, the big game of the weekend. Uh, so, I think, firstly, in terms of Villa, for me, it was um, it went as we expected. And that's it. We seem to say this every week and it, it's getting a bit weird now. No, but let's be honest. It is shameless bragging that we seem to get it, it right. Is a, it is a little bit, but it's not, it's not intended that way, really, is it? I speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um... I said, what did I say, Dave? I'll let you say. Um, uh, it might have been 2 1, you know, mate. I said 2 1. And you yourself said, you said 3 1, but you said two late goals. Mm. Don't know if you remember saying yeah, that. Yeah, I do, yeah. Uh, um, been living off it for the last few days, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it was quite a quite a frantic all action game, I thought, certainly for certainly up until the point where we started dominating. Uh, you was at the game, wasn't you? Yeah, it was. I think it was, I'm not sure if it felt like that at the ground. Very much so, very very pinball, very a lot of variance basically. You know, yeah. it, it's one of those where I think Liverpool, I think Klopp said it a couple of times since he's been here at Liverpool about you know the only thing was that was lacking wasn't the final pass, but the pass before the final pass, and it felt like Liverpool were getting into decent situations, but the the pass before the pass just wasn't quite right. And then you had um, you know Aston Villa who, who were finding pockets of space, and you're looking at you know last minute interventions from Van Dijk, Trent, Robertson, uh, you know sometimes even Lallana, and it was it was the sort of game where within before their goal you, you're sort of thinking well Liverpool will will eventually score here and 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 basically cruise because they are the better team they obviously have the better players. I think the tactics are, are probably a little bit more refined, um, but you know, once they scored the goal, very well worked goal. You know, not many teams managed to to spring Liverpool's offside track from set pieces. Yeah, it was a weird feeling conceding from a situation oh, like that. I can't remember the last time we did in in the stadium. I mean, we were very much on um, online with with the line, and obviously it goes to VAR, and and you know, everyone around me was was very much confident that it get chalked off because Liverpool just never. Do that. Yeah, they have an inch perfect. Yeah. So mm. to see actually, you know, um, who the, was it? Who, who the actual, actually scored Trezeguet? You know, to see yeah, that he yeah. see that he broke the actual the, the line was was a surprise. But you know, yeah, in general, um, it it was a bit of a a box to box. It was one of those, it was one of those games where a lot of the action was sort of taking place between the two boxes. Yeah, I mean, we we did identify Villa as quite a box to box team last week. 
we said they were really well up there with the league's worst defensively, allowing the most shots on goal. And we said that they were quite good on the offensive side. And I think they, I think they showed basically that really. Um, when we did concede that goal, I was, as you said, quite surprised that I, I was expecting it to get choked off. It didn't. Uh, VAR. We we may touch upon that. I didn't actually put that on the agenda, but it's a big talking point that one, isn't it? I mean, you, maybe you, we can have a quick, a, a little touch upon that. But you want to almost ban VAR talk, don't you? Because yeah, because yeah, it feels so. like you are talking about it every week. But it, it's an, I think it is an important one in this. You know, it it, it sort of changes the narrative of, of the entire game. And as, as you said on the podcast, you know, the past couple of weeks. Narratives are founded on, on moments, aren't they? And, yeah, and definitely. So it's, it's reflected in how people are talking about this game. Yeah, I mean, d- despite how the game played out, you know, the whole box-to-box nature of it, how it felt, certainly Liverpool actually, according to the numbers, looked like they absolutely dominated. Um, 25 shots to five, uh, 520 passes to 131. And I think Liverpool's XG was around, depending on different models, around three-ish. Villas was about 0.5 or so. You know, I'm going to the numbers. That's, if you get that every week, you're going to win most matches, aren't you? But Hence why Liverpool are. Yeah, yeah, yeah I suppose so, yeah. It has, but been, it has been a recurring it just, team. It just didn't feel like that kind of game. No. When you when it was watching it. I mean, against Spurs the week before, we obviously want to go down, but f- throughout the whole match, I was thinking, we'll get this, we'll, this will be fine. Mm. But against Villa, I, I did feel a little bit threatened. I did feel as though this could be the week this, that we... Maybe drop a few points to an, to an unsuspecting team. Yeah, and as I said though, and I took a little bit of stick for it after the Leicester game, where I felt watching the game that it wasn't as one-sided as the the numbers said afterwards. And I just reiterate that point. I think it tells you so much, but it doesn't tell you everything. And um, Villa's probably another good example of that. Um, but yeah, the, the thing is, what we're finding, and it seems Liverpool seems to be obviously dominating, but only getting. A lot of the time, getting tight victories, and I think that that is a lot down to the the aura that Liverpool carry now. Now the opposition kind of um, choose to choose to set up against them. You know, I've already noticed that this season, and up the, the sample size is a lot smaller, but the possession average has increased again. So it's close to sixty three percent now. It was about fifty eight last season. So you know, more teams are just sitting further and further and back, trying to just basically put as many men as they can between Liverpool's attackers and, and the goal. Um, I think that's why Liverpool's struggling to maybe score more goals than what they'd like. Yeah, I mean, we did we did say last week that there's, particularly for this match, plenty of intangibles that you can't really measure. Mm. Like, you would you would look at those numbers and think Villa got battered. And yeah. you'd look at those numbers on White Scout last week and think Villa were in for, like, you know, a hiding. But if you do consider what they're like on the pitch... They just they are up for a fight, aren't they? They are, they, are, they have got that traditional uh, English type of football about them, whereby it is very box to box and it's a you know quite a loud ground and things like that. And I, I just think it went it went that way. But if you if you do look into Liverpool's shots, the twenty five that we had, I don't, I don't know if either of you have seen the actual shot map, but the majority of them are just not particularly high quality chances. A lot of them were like seven percent. They were, they were peppering, heat yeah. and but it wasn't. He wasn't sort of making wonder save after wonder save. Sometimes those XGs can increase on quantity rather than quality, can't they? Yeah, yeah. High, high amounts. The other thing I'd say about you know we are all proponents of XG, of course, but you look at something like 
when Liverpool are 1-0 down and that ball comes over on the right-hand side and Trent misses it and then mm. it, it's basically a tap-in for, I think it would have been Wesley mm. uh, and Van Dijk kind of gets his toe in the way and, mm. and, and you know it's a vital, vital block at 1-0 with 10 minutes to go. Yeah, that's, that not record, that's not recorded at all as a shot or as a as an op, uh, an opportunity on XG. It's mm. not attributed to the value. It's like it doesn't exist. But, yeah. but it, it very much did exist and that's the type of team Villa are, you know, mm. as you say. They, they it felt like they were picking up really good pockets of space. They were very, very good on the council. They were finding those gaps because naturally Trent and, and Robbo were, were, were going forward more and more. And, you know, the, their, their players were, were, were finding those gaps out wide. I was really impressed by Trezeguet, who scored, but, you, you know, um, obviously Salah's teammate for internationally. Um, and Wesley as well was sort of running, you know, he, he showed a lot of movements to sort of run the channels. And, you know, Liverpool sort of did well to, to hang in there because... It was one of those type of games where, you know, let's say somebody like Sissy, for example, yeah. it happens against Norwich where they go one down and then all of a sudden they're two down because yeah. they don't quite know how to manage when the one goes down. The big thing about this massive unbeaten run for Liverpool is that they haven't been more than a goal behind. Mm. That, that's huge, yeah. um, which is which is which you know is, is is massive because you think about not just when they come back to win against um, Tottenham, for example, or, or whoever. Burnley, but even a game like Man United, the one 0 doesn't become a two 0 hmm. The one 0 against Villa doesn't become a two 0 and, and and that's massive. Well, I, I I I've said a lot about that City Norwich game. City were by far the better team. City still should have won. Never mind, you know, get a point out. They should have won. But what you say is a key factor there. They they, they conceded more than one goal. Uh, did they actually go two 0 down? They go two 0 down. So they went two 0 down. You know, it's just it's just that much more difficult to come back to, isn't it? Um, so we had to. It's a it's a big point. Something I want to touch on that I actually thought was a real key moment in the game that we might have seen two or three weeks ago was where Villa, I may have been McGinn running through, I can't remember who it was, Villa nearly get through behind the lines and Alisson comes out of his goal and makes a great yeah, I remember that, yeah. challenge or clearance. And I remember looking at that thinking, I'm not sure if... Adrian. Adrian would have done that yeah, maybe yeah. three or four weeks ago and that was at 1-0 and that would have been huge probably would have been that important second goal and may have killed the game I'll tell you what Liverpool do do as well when when they, 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 they do when they go down they turn the screw we saw it against mm. Tottenham and we saw it here um, I picked out a stat because I'm really really interested in this and it came across I mean I'm in the stadium of Fairbury obviously you, you, you do it a little bit at Anfield as well Dave and, and, and it, no, it was noticeable against Spurs and it was noticeable against Villa that crossfield pass that Robertson does to Trent or Trent does to Robertson just stretches the play so much. Mm. And I think there was three players, and okay, there was a little bit of time wasting going on as well. But I think on three separate occasions, three different Aston Villa players went down with either cramp or just basically to take a breather. There is an element of time wasting to that, but what Liverpool do is... It's relentless. Yep, it's just the, the, the moving the ball constantly, the making teams not just physically tired, but mentally tired. And I just picked out this this statistic. Basically, Robertson and Trent against Villa passed the ball to each other 10 times, five of them were long passes. Mm. Uh, against Spurs, it was 11 times and 10 of them were long passes. Just to sort of give you... I've, I've gone all the way through, basically. Um, so in the league this season, Liverpool's full-backs, which every game has been Trent and Robertson, 57 times they've passed to each other, which when you think about the pitch mm, yeah. is remarkable. I've talked about this before. 38 yeah. of them are long. OK, a couple of them are little, just as an outlier, a couple of them are short corners. Yeah. So, yeah. OK. But that's 57 and 38. Man City, with their um, 
the fullbacks, Mendy, Cancelo, Zinchenko, whoever's been playing those particular games, 20 fewer passes between them and 14 fewer long. Uh, despite having more of the ball despite right? having more of the ball and you know I was looking at like the top six and, and that kind of thing Emerson Aspel requested and passed to each other once for Chelsea mm. at the weekend Chambers and uh, pass, Antony passed once to each other Aurier passed to Davis once uh, Pereira and Chilwell who you would maybe say Rogers uses as very similar to Trenton didn't haven't passed to each other in the past two games yeah. including the 9-0 against Southampton so it's just a remarkable it's a remarkable thing and it was really noticeable against Villa because Liverpool they weren't just throwing the ball forward they were throwing it side to side and just making Villa just always moving yeah yeah no it's I think it's definitely an alternative to raise Liverpool's game that you don't you don't often see Um, and I think you know one of the points I've got down here is that you know Liverpool's the approach that we take to getting back in the game you know, there's, there's not a great deal of panic. We keep probing for large periods. The ball stays in play, and if it goes out of play, it comes immediately back. Shoot, quick free kicks and things like that. Um, and it's just a nightmare to defend against. And I think you know, I mentioned last week that Villa are generally quite good when they when they're able to just soak pressure. Obviously, Timo Mings is, is a big lad and things like that. So they generally thrive when when they're able to do that. But Liverpool just, as I said, relentless, persistent with with the way the they probe from side to side, back to front. As a defence, you're constantly moving, constantly um, basically unaware of what's going on around you. And I think that's why Liverpool, uh, I think they are getting towards that mould of like a, a Ferguson United team. I, I, I always say, because they do remind me a lot of of that, that team in terms of being able to adapt to certain match situations. But now specifically, coming back late, never feeling threatened when you go a goal down and things like that. It's... It's Ferguson used to overload, didn't he? That's what it was. It was basically your two strikers and your two your two midfielders get forward, mm. and Giggs and Beckham at that time pretty much were were trying to supply to to them, and and, and, a, and a, you know a centre back would go up as well. Obviously, tactics have evolved so much. I don't know, Trent Be- Beckham like, isn't he? Yeah, we've mentioned yeah. that a couple of times. I mean, that brings us on to Trent anyway. I personally thought Trent was ridiculous on the day. There was a period of about 15, 20 minutes where he was doing. And you got to understand where I'm coming from with this. He was doing what Gerard used to do in terms of this isn't going well. I'll grab the game yourself yep. and just kind of doing it on his own. And obviously, there's, I mean, he, he had a shot that just, just, just wide of the far, the far left post, putting all kinds of crosses in. Again, this week I put his passing network up on Twitter. If you want to check that one out, what he's doing, we seem to speak about him every week. Hmm. This is the best form I've seen him in personally. And if if this is in form and this is just his level now what a player he's 21 he's 21 what he's doing and I think you know we're going to get onto it eventually but he is going to provide a different dynamic for me against City because you know last season we didn't we actually started with Joe Gomez as our right back last year against City at Anfield Um, but yeah I just thought I thought Trent deserved to mention because he was a for a 21 year old kid to be stepping up like that Um. I just thought he was thought he was outstanding. It's a great ball into the box as well for the you know you've, he's he's pretty much and it was, you know watching it play out live he's 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 standing over that free kick and there was almost an air of expectancy that he could mm-hmm. do this and okay he doesn't necessarily I mean, he scored against Chelsea he scored one against Watford last season but he's not necessarily a you know a prolific shall we say from a, from a, when he's shooting himself from free kicks but there was just that sort of sense of. He was assuming that responsibility, mm. and he, he done a really, you know, clever thing there in terms of 
and I might be giving him too much credit to say, but it felt like he ensured that if it was blocked, it was going to get blocked behind. So there was one more chance. Yeah, there was at least it, a second phase. Exactly, exactly yeah. that's exactly it. And he scored from that second mm. phase. And his head's almost down when he's, if you look back, his head's almost down when he's going towards the corner because he's beaten himself up because he thought he could have scored that free mm. kick. And then, you know, to have the, the, the mental strength and just the technique, basically, it's a great ball to the box. It's a great, it's a great header by Mane mm. as well. You know, it's a really well-worked corner, but, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, what is it, 5% of, of corners resulting goals? Now, I'm, I, I don't think Trent's probably above that necessarily, certainly not by a lot. You know, we're not talking sort of a Rigi 41%, you know, efficiency in front of goal. But well, what it is, is, is just that it almost feels a little bit like when, again, Beckham stood over the free kick. Mm. I must say, though, what a finish. It's a great, oh, it's unbelievable. The, the header, the, how he finds the far side of the net with that side netting and that. Honestly, do you see the finish? Yeah, yeah, unbelievable yeah. finish. Course, yeah. I, I just, I just want to, I, I want to know why Mane is so good. It's another header from Mane, but that's what and I mean. it's a different type of header. But yeah, look at the types of header that he scores. He mm. scores, you know, big towering ones. He scores little flick ones, near post darts, back post darts. I, I mean, it, it, five ten, five eleven. It brings me on. It brings me on to the, the next point, really, which is just the way Mane stepped up in that game. Obviously, he provides the assist for the first. Scores the second. He's done that in certain moments throughout the season. He's done it at Southampton away, I remember. Um against Leicester? 5-9. Five, 5-9? Nine. Five, nine. Hmm. I would attribute an extra two inches because yeah. that's how I yeah. jumps. You know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm just I'm just curious as to in, in your own opinion whether I mean it's just it's a stupid question anyway, to be honest looking at it. <laughs> that's why I put it in. It can be relevant at the time, can't it? Yeah, I, we don't I, really need to talk about it that much, but just in comparison to Salah, for, for, I mean, I'll be honest, this is the first time ever that I've transferred Salah out my fantasy <laughs> team and brought Mane in. I've never done mm. that before. Yeah. Um, and I think that offers an insight into something. Do you know what I mean? I just wondered if you've got any thoughts on it. Cause I, I think Mane is, certainly on form at least, is, is definitely a bigger threat than Salah. Um, I think Mar- Mane's got just an, this air of unpredictability about his play as well where you can just it, it's this sounds it's bear with me on this because I haven't thought about this or wrote it down it's just come to me now but he's almost got the characteristics or the best characteristics of both Firmino and Sal in the sense that he's you know he's a goal scorer he takes good shots but then he's got this air of unpredictability about him in the sense that the way like that Bayern Munich goal where he just does the miraculous and He's just got a bit of everything. I feels like he's really at his pomp now where everything's just coming together. He's like unstoppable. And just quickly, we were talking about the impact of Salah and Mane. I just want to flag the trend point again. And I wonder whether on the whole he's benefiting from maybe getting a little bit more space. You know, if, if Trent is your is your key um playmaker, so to speak. Um obviously he picks the ball up on the right. Teams are going to be looking to press or cut out the passing lanes on the right, shuffle over to that side. Because he's so brilliant at playing those switch balls to Mane, Mane stays out on the left and he picks up the ball in better positions with less players around him. And I just wonder, I've got no data to back it up because as we found out earlier, our data provider was giving us um, inaccurate numbers for Mane. So I couldn't back this up with numbers. But only, I just, only today. Only today, we're, we're yeah. Not, we haven't been We're not off. opening a door, a door for any sort of criticism there. Um, but yeah, no. I just wonder if, if if that's a 
that's a valid point. I, I think it is. I think last season you look at it from a Mo Salah goes into the season, he scored 44 goals, so everyone's marking Salah. Mm. Therefore, his output's not as high. You know, he's got three players around him. Therefore, Sadio Mane's getting a lot more uh, a lot more space. Sorry, because Salah on the other side's getting more attention. But I think this season it is very much a it's a two. It's it's this is the thing. How how's your defend against Liverpool? You yeah, know, which side do you focus on? Do you focus yeah. on on Trent and Salah, or do you focus on Robertson and Mane? Mm. It's it's unreal. But I do think Mane is is benefiting from that. I also think he's he's just benefiting from. You know, you've, you remember his first season at Liverpool and he was playing on the right-hand side. Mm. And it's weird, isn't it, because of how football's evolved, but it's, it's always a little bit strange now having a, a right-footed player on the right-hand side. Yeah, it's basically, it, it doesn't happen at all. No. And when it does, as you said, it's like... Really? Sane's yeah. left-footed and plays yeah. on the left, doesn't he? Because he's perfected that sort of yeah. drill across. But, you know, when he moves to the left-hand side, I was a little bit concerned and thought, well, actually, I, he, he's... Carved out a nice little niche here. He's pretty much a one in two player mm. playing on the right here. And then it, just the way Klopp sort of moved them onto the left. And as you say, it's that unpredictability. He can go on the outside, he can go on the inside. Mm. What I'd say about the whole Mane Salah thing, if you'd ask me which one I'd sell tomorrow, it'd be Mohamed Salah. Mm. Do you know what? <laughs> My stance on Salah, right? I think Salah's the ultimate data player. If, you, if you're going to be. Ian Graham, for example, behind the scenes at Liverpool, looking at the, the data packages and things like that. Salah's the ultimate player in that regard. Even when he plays badly, he seems to still outshoot Mane. And he's an output machine, isn't he? He's an output machine, yeah. But if you actually delve into that, it's just because he, he tries a lot more and he's just a bit more raw in his game, a bit more reckless. He'll give the ball away a lot more. We addressed that the other mm. week, didn't we, on the Q&A? Yeah. And I think if you compare that to Mane, OK, Mane takes fewer shots which coincides with he's then going to post a lower XG but I think Mane just generally seems to make slightly better decisions maybe um, he shoots when it's when it's a good opportunity to shoot whereas I think Salah's prone to just I don't know just being a bit careless and having a go when he shouldn't or you know certain things like that um, I think I think Mane's just more more careful in his actions and as a result, he posts better conversion rates every season. Mane tends to post like tends to convert about twenty three percent of his shots each season. Salah converts about sixteen percent. Mm-hmm. So if you're consistently seeing Salah miss a lot more, it's because he's shooting more. But it just depends what you prefer. It depends. Um, like I think if you if you was Pep Guardiola, you'd absolutely choose Mane every day of the week because mm-hmm. because of how how raw and you know unpredictable and reckless Salah can be. But as a result of that, as I said, he's an output merchant. He's a proper data player, but he's just really... Um, when he's off his game and he doesn't find the net as much, he can be really hard to watch. He can be really, like, inefficient. Is that, I think is the word. Frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah just frustrating. frustrating. He can look really, really bad if he has an off day. This isn't... I mean, this isn't a criticism. By the way, I'm not advocating Liverpool go out and no. <laughs> give Real Madrid the call now and say, yeah, you can have him for nothing. But you know what I'm what 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 I'm sort of I'm, I'm thinking about the longevity here as well, and I can see Sadio Mane basically evolving into a, a David Silva type player and playing for Liverpool mm. when he's 31, 32, 33 as an eight. I really could, and I would not have said that when he came to Liverpool. I mean, I'd seen him a little bit at Southampton. I probably had a few sort of lazy assumptions around yeah. him. Um, 
But you look at his close control, I don't guess sometimes he, he can have a bit of a bad touch now and then, but you know, you look at how he is in tight spaces. He's powerful. As well, he's, powerful. He? Yeah. He's, he's got a great, he's got a great intelligent mind on him. He's got a defensively line for a pass. Really good. Defensively really good. And it's, he, he, could, he could play as an eight. He, he really, really could. And especially when he sort of matures and maybe loses a bit of that explosiveness. Yeah. You know, he's still got that. What I would say is that, you know, there have been games and, you know, I'd sort of, Thinking back, I probably throw the, I probably say the Villa game, you know, included, where, you know, similar to Salad, if Mane's not necessarily having a good game, you can tell, as in you can, mm. you, you know, when he's having a bit of a stinker. Mm. Um, but at the moment, he's if he's having a stinker, he follows that up with a goal and an assist. <laughs> yeah. uh, I do think, I think with Salah, I think I don't, I, I'm mindful to, to, to criticise him really. I think what's happening here, I'd, I think he. I mean, Ian Klopp said he's he, the draining fluid from his ankle. Um, after the the still, he's still feeling the effects of that challenge from Chaudhry. Yeah, I will say as well, last season, when he was still feeling the effects of the dislocated shoulder, he was a bit off as well. This We've spoken about this, so I was just going to bring that up. But yeah, you know, in, in terms of, is he does he play to his full capacity when he's got a niggling injury? Possibly you know, not, yeah. Because shoulder last season, ankle yeah. this season. But he still seems still seems to take the same amount of risks in his game mm. and still seems to give the ball away just as much and shoot just as much, but he's just not as productive when he's doing it. Um like Mane seems to post a better XG pair shot and things like that. As I said, better conversion rate, and I think that epitomises the two players. Salah will generally most of the time probably score more, probably be a bit more of a threat. But when Mane does make the decision to actually I am gonna contribute offensively here. He seems to do so with more regularity. When he actually tries something, he seems to come off more. So it depends what you value as a fan when you're watching the game. If you value numbers, outputs and data and things like that, you're going to say Salah's the better player every day of the week. But if you value, I don't know, maybe decision-making, possession, um, you know, things like that, you may be going to consider Mane's better. But thankfully, we've got the pair of them. I was going to say, if you're in Klopp, you're fact that you're lucky <laughs> stars, you've got both of them. Yeah. Uh, so I think... Uh, in fact, yeah, just just a quick word on the VAR. Uh, what, what do you reckon? Mm. I hate, I, I, I hate I, talking I, about I tweeted it. about it for the first and last time of the season because I don't I don't think people are, are interested. But for me, this one was... I know it's been vaguely explained since with all elaborate reasoning and that, but at the time, this was one that I couldn't stomach. I, I, I thought it was crazy. Are we talking about the Firmino the one? Fir- yeah, the I Firmino mean, one. <laughs> well, yeah. But I, I, it looked mad. It looked really flawed to me I, when it happened. I, I didn't have a clue because, and, and this oh, is yeah, another issue. Yeah, I was there, yeah. so yeah. I just assumed the flag goes up straight away, and I go, well, yeah, it must be. And then there's a VAR check, and you sort of like, right, okay. But I didn't even celebrate that goal because mm. you see the flag straight away, yeah. and, and you know the, the moment's gone. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows the rules. Mm. And I think that's the big problem. I think you're trying to implement something whereby there's far too much shades. You're trying to apply a black and white concept to a situation which has shades of grey. I've heard this said before, but it's it's just my opinion. I think Saturday was the perfect example. I just don't think referees should be in the VAR room because for me, that was not an offside. And I think it's been... They've, they've made it somehow seem as if it was because that that 
graphic afterwards just summed it up. I could see no advantage for Firmino at all. I really couldn't. I didn't even think the lines looked correct. Even being and they haven't, they haven't yeah. sometimes in other games they did. You yeah. just look at it and go, "I'm under the world cup." Yeah. You know, that looks a bit wonky. That I just yeah. think they need someone independent doing it, and it doesn't need to be you blast the referee for getting it wrong. It just needs to be okay. The, the ref called it wrong. Is the correct decision? It doesn't need to be looking after your mates. What I would say, and this is where you know I, I I'm still sure in general around it is that. So the, the, the linesman put his flag up straight away. Now, that was the wrong call, but if VAR wasn't in place, then it wouldn't have been allowed anyway. Mm. Now, if VAR went back and sort of, and I wonder if this sort of affects what people think, and as in like referees in, in Stockley Park, but if, if they go back and say, actually, it was onside, could Tom Heaton not argue, well, I saw the... the Nice put his flag up, so I, I didn't. A can of worms. Yeah, I yeah. didn't. I did. I didn't die for that. Mm. And it, and it happens so much, and you see it with with the Champions League against Genk. You know, a couple of times you go, you know, they've the, the, the broken the offside trap here, and you just sort of you go, well, is that a chance? Is that not a chance? Mm. And and if you sort of, it's just it, it's a massive, massive mess. And ultimately, you, you look at it. You look at something like the Firmino one. And you just wonder how's that how's that better than football in terms of yeah. and ultimately if he would have got if there was no VAR it would have been choked off you would have looked at it and you went you would have, you would have gone that's tight that it probably was on side but you know how can you tell in real time just yeah, let's, people, let's people, crack on. people expect perfection with the computers that's what it is people are expecting perfection and if the computer can't be perfect if the VAR can't be perfect I don't even think it should be applied so if you can't get an offside call spot on no matter what then don't even use it that, that, that's that's my perspective on it the problem is ultimately it's a glorified offside grass isn't it like that's what it is it, it doesn't sort of it doesn't look at really doesn't look at any decisions and overturn them um, one of the only decisions was the Brighton Everton game that's mm. one of the first ones I've seen it's essentially just acts as a bit of a grass on offsides yeah. and ultimately if they can't even grass properly now Ways, you know what? What's the point? And I'm, I think what you're also seeing is is referees and lines, linesmen, lines people, shall I say? Because we obviously got people like Sean Massey. Um, but what you see now is, I think they're second guessing because of it. So some of them mightn't be lifting their flag because well, the AR will get me out of this. Mm. I genuinely believe with the whole Martin Atkinson thing um, at Old Trafford with Origi. And the, and the foul which in the build up to Manchester United's goal I, I feel like if there's no VAR he probably blows up mm. but because there's VAR he thinks oh, the lads in the, um, the lads in, in, in the hangar in by Heathrow will sort me out here yeah. <laughs> sort of the, the, you know I'm sort of just got to let this game flow Yeah. and then when it doesn't he probably thinks mm, probably, probably shouldn't have done that, yeah. that yeah I agree I totally agree it's a, it's a farce at the moment yeah farce I mean, that, that, <laughs> <laughs> That can be our weekly, in fact, that can be our monthly, yearly two minutes on VAR. We'll move on from there now. But we'll we'll, we'll spend a limited amount of time on Genk. So even less on Genk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, very standard match, wasn't he? Uh, Naby Keita obviously started. I'm, I'm assuming that was largely because Robertson was on the bench. So obviously you need that threat from elsewhere. So if it's not left-back where James Milner's now playing, then put Naby Keita on the left side of midfield and you'll, you'll still get a roughly... Roughly similar offensive output, uh, and obviously Oxley Chamberlain for the first forty-five minutes played as played as Roberto Firmino as the nine, which I'm sh- I saw you tweet about. I loved it. 
You, yeah, you had thoughts on it, didn't you? I'm, 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 I'm just all in on, on, on doing mad things and, and <laughs> something that I didn't notice. Like, I, you know, no one would have seen that coming. And it feels really obvious when you think about the sort of player he is and the, his skill set. I know you've been an advocate of him playing higher up the pitch. You've looked yeah. at his numbers and you go, well, why doesn't he quite work as a, as a yeah. wide midfielder? It's puzzled you know? me for a while, actually. Yeah. But, yeah, but when you think about it, you know... Firmino sort of saves us an eight now and then anyway because mm. of the, how how deep he drops and how he drives. So it makes it makes perfect sense. And yeah. and, and I'm not saying look, it, it's against Genk that they, they, they did well. Genk. Um, I, I actually think they're nowhere near as bad as people have, have assumed. And I actually think they might give Salzburg a bit of a game in Belgium. Um, you know, I thought they troubled Liverpool in Belgium for a little bit. Uh, they were unfortunate with a couple of again, you know, split decisions, uh, and I thought they were decent yesterday. So I'm not by any means saying that they're a load of pig farmers, but what I am saying is, <laughs> um, <laughs> what I am saying He's is lying. basically <laughs> got nothing against it. It's a lovely city or town, whatever it was, village, <laughs> um, but. You know, he's he's. You can't really sort of say let's let's have Oxley Chamberlain as the de facto backup to Roberto Firmino from now on. But it was an interesting experiment, and 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 it's for an forty-five option. minutes, it 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 really interested me. Yeah, I don't mind experiments like that in certain matches when you can afford doing it, especially at Anfield. Just test them little things like me and you mentioned last week. Did me about the whole strength in the De Bruyne role and putting mm. the Joe Gomez at right back instead, just yeah. to see how it goes, see kind of thing. Goes, yeah. Uh, but you know Liverpool 23 shots to 7 uh, again completely dominating the shot count which we seem to do virtually every week um, I thought we converted horribly though we just didn't take our chances could have been a much more comfortable scoreline if we were on it um, and for me we, we seem to stay in second gear I thought for the, the majority of the match just kind of get through it with with one eye on on the weekend really um, I'd say two Hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. Don't, don't you find you know kind of seasons like this with Liverpool are psychological roller coasters and I think it must be difficult <laughs> to even though it's the Champions League night in Anfield it's Genk you know they, they look fairly healthy in the group um, knowing such a big game is on the horizon it's I imagine it's fairly difficult to you know go into these games with the same sort of um, I don't know adrenaline maybe just just that, yeah, well, that level that last, last level. season we played Wolves I think in the last game of the season and we were obviously reliant on City to mm. drop points at Brighton to win the league Yeah, and then we didn't play particularly uh, what's the word well in, in, <laughs> no no we played okay but we weren't as compact as usually we weren't mm. in unison conceded a few breaks and things like that and it was just because you could, you could tell people players minds were a little bit offered and things and uh, but one thing I did want to mention from the game, we conceded again, mm. uh, which a few people are getting a little bit concerned by. I think I got a tweet to me this morning saying, you know, you you was reluctant to praise Adrian because you said that once Allison comes in, we'll start keeping more clean sheets, and we haven't, which is which is true. And the fellow was wanting to want to know why. And you know, if you if you look at the XG we face each game, the shots we face, we should be can. Can, uh, we should be keeping more clean sheets than we have and I said to the fella that like you know I'd expect in the next couple of weeks for Liverpool to just go on a run of like five clean sheets in a row just because if you're consistently conceding if you're consistently facing less than one XG a game you shouldn't be conceding a goal every week should you I mean it's no I agree no I agree you shouldn't I just wonder whether um, there's a story in itself there that these goals are still coming 
I don't know. They need Possibly some, they need some proper analysis. Well, it's two two games now, two set piece goals conceded. Mm. Yeah, plus, plus you've got to bear in mind, Allison getting his feet back and things. He, he was out for about two months or something like that, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think it rests with Allison. To be honest, I, I think with the Genk one, I think it, number one, yeah, there was two eyes on City. Um, I think number two as well, and I think you know you you guys mentioned this in the build up to the, to the first game, or certainly in the um, in the fallout to it. Genk are massive, you know that's a massive scores, and he's yeah. he's a big lad. Sander Berg's a big lad. Yeah, six five years. Um, they're, they're a big big team, and sometimes it's just and also when there's different players on the pitch, you know, not usual not usual positions. From you know, Oxley Chamberlain's a big lad, but then you've you've sort of got. And Fabinho's obviously not 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 small, but you've got Naby Keita on the pitch. You've got Milner, sort of might be in a different position because he's left back rather than a central midfielder. Mm. You've got Joe Gomez, who's still, you know, I wouldn't say you can say him, but he's still finding his feet um, yeah, since he's, he's sort him. of lost lost his uh, place. Mm. Um, and then even even the likes of you know Origi, you know, there's there's play, basically players who don't always play for Liverpool. Yeah. Um, and they're all on the pitch at the same time. I think you'll naturally get a little bit of uh, disconnect with with, with, yeah. with set pieces. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So, <laughs> strap yourselves in, <laughs> because now we are on to obviously Manchester City. This is obviously the big one. This will take us nine points ahead if we get the win here. Uh, so you know we'll start with the basics. What do the numbers say? Um, and if you if you look at the num- uh, numbers we've got across the course of the season so far, City by far the best attacking team in the league. Um, they've posted an XG of I think that says thirty six. <laughs> it does. Uh, yeah, an, ex- an XG <laughs> of thirty. Put your glasses on. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> what glasses? What do you mean? <laughs> an XG of thirty six. <laughs> Liverpool in second place on twenty three. So Just that's that, that's an expected goals of you know thirteen goals more than the second place team. So that's where the the clear difference is in the in in the league. Um, but then if, if you look on the defensive side of the game, it's it's a slightly different story. City is still very very good on the defensive side, but Liverpool at the minute is slightly better. Last year I think we were slightly better too, um, and that's kind of where we make up for it. Um, where City most weeks might win 3-0 Liverpool you know have the awareness that we might only need one goal to win a match we might at max need two goals to win a match we haven't conceded more than one goal in any Premier League game this season so far so we we basically have the understanding that like if we score two we've basically won the game Um, hence why we're able to bridge the points gap hence why you can't fully look at the numbers and say City are the best team in the league. City are going to win the league. It's not as simple as that. Liverpool, although they're a bit off City in terms of the attacking side, the the gap from Liverpool to the rest of the league is still massive. Hence why we're able to bridge the gap in points. Um, and this is going to be fit comfortably that the two best teams for me in Europe facing off. Um, Adam Field and uh, you know his general thoughts. What do you reckon? Biggest game in world football now. Yeah, I think if you are a, a football fan, um, and whether you're a football fan because of the storyline and drama of it and the narrative that surrounds it, 
if you're a, or you're you're in it on the tactical side of things, like you know we are, you know we're, well we're we're all of us are both of that, aren't we? But you know no matter which way you approach this game, it's it's a, it's a massive, it's it's the biggest game in, in football for me at the moment. I am excited. I won't lie, I'm sitting here. And you're I, gonna I, be I, there, aren't you? You're gonna yeah, be there, I'll yeah. be there, yeah. And maybe I'll have a little bit less nerves than you two as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, really looking forward to it. Um, I'm not nervous. I'm not, I'm not nervous. I, I, Are you confident or just? I'm not. Just no, no, no. Definitely not. Con- I'm, yeah. You know me. I'm never confident. Yeah, true, yeah. I cry and see you every yeah. week. Um, oh, Villa are going to win four nil. Um, but um, I'm more confident than I was last year. I think though. Um, I just think a defeat's not the death knell mm. because I'm. I think it's a, it's a big blow, but I don't think it's over. I actually believe, despite the points difference, that Guardiola would bite your hand off for the for the draw in this game. 100%. I, well, don't see, I don't think they see this as a must-win game at all. Well, my, my stance on this game, I've wrote about it this week, and you can check that one. That's a long read on Liverpool on LFC stories. But my, my stance on this game is that it's it's all about um, risk versus reward for me this match. Fully depends on which coach kind of wants to go for it more, whether that will, as I said, be a risk or reward that coach Um and I think that's just based on how past matches have been. Um, like I think, I think initially in the, the year where we beat them four three and three nil and two one, I think it was. That was Guardiola playing as though we usually would. That mm. was him instructing his players to you know play through Liverpool, believe in what you're doing, that idealistic game. And Liverpool just repeatedly did them on the break. City giving the ball away countless times just allowed Anfield to get on his feet. Uh, chaos ensued basically and, and City suffered a, a, as a result of that I think last season he finally learned from that having used all kinds of different formations at one point he used he used a 3-5-1-1 one, one. at did, one yeah. point with Fernandinho without the ball dropping back as a centre back to cover the channel that Salah was attacking but like just stupidly elaborate you could just tell he was overthinking it you could tell he was it was getting to him that he couldn't come up with a specific plan to it. I've said to you in the past that he's a control freak, Pep. And Liverpool do not allow him control. Liverpool aren't willing to just lie down. And he hates it. And that's why he can't really get his head, his head around us, really. Um, and I think last season, as I said, he finally learned about what you've got to do. And you've got to, you've got to basically stop taking risks. You've got to play really careful game. Build using the flanks and things like that. And as a result, you'll give away the ball f- f- fewer times, fewer turnovers. You'll lose the ball in dangerous areas less. And that was massive at nullifying us because Klopp's big game approach to, to, against teams like this is to keep your shape, stay compact, and your your way of scoring will be press them into a mistake and then punish them. We did that countless times until Guardiola last season used this like this safe approach that has seems to have changed the dynamic a little bit. And it was weird because both blinked at the same time. It was almost as if because while the older did that, but so did Klopp, because he mm. went Gomez on the right, yeah. decided not to play yeah, strength. James, and, what, and what played out was a very, very dour, yeah, James, safe James nil-nil. Milner played in midfield. Yeah. I mean, he came off after about half an hour with an injury, I think, but he started in midfield. Our midfield that day was Milner, Henderson, Wijnaldum, with Joe Gomez right back. Mm. You have got no open play creativity there. That's a, clearly a team that is going to create chances through pressing. 
yeah. and it didn't work. And the XGs on a day were really, really low. Mm. Um, Both zero points, weren't they? Yeah, yeah I yeah. think City's was. I don't think well, City's. Don't, don't, don't count the pen. Penalty, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. not counting the pen. Yeah, no, I think I think if you look at City's without the penalty, I think theirs was about zero point one nine or something mm. like that, and their highest quality chance was about zero point zero seven. Well, I think it was really interesting as well was the conservative approach of both sides in that game without really realising how tight the title race was probably going to be that year. Obviously, everyone got a feel for it for the January game at the Etihad. Um, I don't know, you know, it, it's... I don't know how... I could I could see this being a very, very conservative game, actually. Well, it it can go two ways for me. It It will depend entirely on... A, how much Pep wants to bridge the gap in points today, uh, not today, on Sunday, obviously, mm. or whether he thinks that'll happen throughout the course of the season. And B, whether Klopp thinks that Guardiola's defensive shape at the minute, in terms of, like, you know, Laporte's obviously out, Fernandinho centre-back, mm. Cancelo's never played at Anfield. Um, just little things like that. Gundogan, I, I think, is the, the deepest... Deepest midfielder at the minute for them. Well, at the way Rodri, it is at the moment, yeah. Rodri's another player who's never played at Anfield before, and if he if he did play, he'd be coming back from an injury. So, yeah, Klopp may deem it as we can rely on pressing once more because these players will make mistakes. Certainly, if Otamendi plays, um, but I don't think he will. Um, but it's it's just really going to be interesting how each coach approaches it in terms of the the risk they're willing to take. Because if Guardiola goes full full Guardiola, then I think it'll benefits us um, but it's just a very difficult one to predict uh, just, just just depending on as I said the perception of either coach going into the game how important they deem it to be I think you've got to look at I think if you're Klopp you're, you're looking at the data behind the chances that Manchester City can see them obviously you've spoken about this on, on the podcast before but they are conceding you know, in terms of they're not conceding many shots, but when they concede shots, the the quality of shot that they're conceding mm. is 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 big. So I think if you're Jurgen Klopp, you're saying, well, you know, look at the look at how many shots we have. We why would we limit ourselves to maybe f- six or seven or eight shots? Why are we not going to try and create these high quality chances against Manchester City? Because if Norwich can and if Bournemouth can. And if you know Wolverhampton Wanderers can, then then Liverpool can as well, and I just feel like that's the tip, that that's the, the the tip in the balance there for me, why I think we'll probably see a more adventurous Liverpool than we did last game, uh, yeah. last time we were on field, simply because I think he'll look at Manchester City and the situation they're coming to Anfield in this time. It's pretty much twelve months, isn't it? It's mm. a, it maybe maybe thirteen months. Since I, I the last think, one, I but it's think, the two different sides. Yeah, I think this city coming to Anfield have less of an aura about them a little bit. I'm less fearful than I have been before, um, and I'm not sure if Klopp feels that. But it, you know, it's as I said, it's difficult to determine how he's going to approach this one. What I would say though is that this is the. It's, it's weird. I don't know whether you want to view the Tottenham game with, with City because I was about to say it's the first sort of it's, it's only the second big game if you will that Manchester City have faced this season but that's another thing yeah you look at you look at Tottenham and you go well that was just number one Tottenham and a top six team at the moment no. and number two it was just a mad game anyway yeah. where City still dominated the, that yeah, game City, just, City yeah. 99 times out of 100 win that game yeah. 
Um, so again, it's one of those whereby, yes, okay, City are conceding. I think they conceded again over a goal on the XG against uh, Southampton, hmm. um, which is ludicrous. They don't really create Southampton. So it's, it's again, they're clearly conceding opportunities. But it's one thing conceding those against Wolves and Southampton and Norwich and, and Crystal Palace. It's another thing to... And people would expect that maybe the correlation is that, well, the best of the team, the more high-quality yeah. chances they will, but maybe he'll tweak his tactics because he thinks he can... It's almost the Liverpool 17-18 where he's going, well, we can probably blow these teams out of the water, but when it comes to the big games, he's going to, as you say, look for that control again. Yeah. I think he'll be very mindful, Guardiola, and this is where Liverpool have got a way up, whether it's the risk and reward. I think Guardiola will be very mindful of the fact that they can see high-quality chances and they're going up against a team who can create high-quality chances. Yeah, I keep and thinking just about that narrow, Liverpool's narrow from three, just really overloading these weak centre-backs. That's where I feel like it, it can kind of... I mean, the game can be won. I will say that those Norwich results where they've been conceding these high-quality chances, I will say Otamendi was involved in all of them, I think, and he's a huge problem. I don't think he'll play in this game. He can't play. He's, well, he's got a problem, hasn't he, Guardiola? Because Stones and Otamendi played in the 4-3 and they were absolutely terrible. Yeah. So what do you do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, last season, his approach to playing Liverpool in both matches was 4-2-3-1 uh, with David Silva as his 10. But Silva was slightly shuffled towards Trent's side to almost like overload mm. Trent with Sterling. And uh, it generally worked, you know, quite well um, in terms of nullifying us purely because they were willing to build around the play rather than through it. So they avoided the likes of Henderson and, you know, Wijnaldum and where we usually win the ball in the centre of the pitch, they, usually, they avoided that. The full-back stayed deep as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. He did City's full-backs, who normally, as we know, just bomb on and on mm. and on, didn't. Yeah, but the, the problem with their approach last season, though, was that because of how cautious it was and how respectful it was, it resulted in, in their attack suffering as well. So both meetings last season were quite low-event matches. Um, Liverpool took seven shots at Anfield to, against City's six. They both average in the region of 16, I think, usually. Um, and then at the Etihad match, Liverpool hit seven, City hit nine. Again, that's really, really low. So, you know, if, if you if you consider those shot counts, I think a lot of it comes down to just who's more clinical on the day in terms of taking their chances. Like, if you think of the 4-3 that w when we beat them, the goal Marnie scored when he found a top corner. Great finish. Firmino lobbed Edison. Salah scores from 40 yards. Salah mm -hmm. scores from 40 yards, yeah. And I'll say shame from outside the box. Yeah, and if you think <laughs> if you think of the loss last season at the Etihad, Aguero scored from an awkward angle, uh, having just edged out Lovren, and Sani scored having hit the post and it went in. So you have to take your chances in these matches if it's going to go any and like last season. Um, and I just think it, it could come down to you know who's more clinical on the day. I think that's definitely worth mentioning. Just on that, get your, both your opinions. So if you remember that game. And I think it's particularly interesting given that, that this season and the talk of the high line, if you remember that game, they were getting a lot of joy putting up and overs to Trent's side with Sane running in behind. 
And I just wonder where there is a... <laughs> I was going to make the Someone's read the agenda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. That's the problem. <laughs> um, no, but you, what, what, what I did that for then is because you are getting onto a point that I, I was thinking about myself. Yeah, I just wonder whether that's that's going to be a big, big risk. It, I imagine it'll be Sterling, won't it, probably? It will. Well, well, Sane obviously comes on for Sterling at Anfield and wins the penalty. Mm. Um, and then... He, as you say, you know, he scores. He scores the. Um, he scores the goal. Um, but I think one, one thing. I, I, one thing I had in mind though was that a, a lot of the time against us, Guardiola seems to favour Sane. He seems to start Sane regardless of the form he's in. Sane seems to like the game as well. He seems to play quite well. I think. Yeah, but I think I think he does that though because he's mindful of Klopp being primarily a pressing coach, and. That's more. It's more of a risk to play a high press if you've got a fast lad in behind. Sane's obviously as quick as they come, mm. so that presents Klopp with the problem. Then, if if Pep starts Sane, you're less inclined to press as highly as aggressively if you know that Sane can get a ball in behind and beat it in a race. Well, they do it in the first 15 minutes of the Community Shield this season. Yeah. It's 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 that it's, it was a clear and obvious tactic before Sane, you know, ironically goes off and that's why he's out of this game. He's still injured. It's what he's doing in yeah. that game as well. It's mm-hmm. it's straight there. But but this this brings me on to my point, is that with Sane out and Laporte being missing as well, I think possibly Liverpool are equipped for the first time to, if they want, I don't, I'm not sure if they will, but if they want to to dominate City in their own half, whereby Liverpool see more of the ball, they press relentlessly, almost as though they're playing an Arsenal, or the way they played against Barcelona, in the new Camp, where we just didn't let them out for the whole match. If we want, especially as well, City played last night, Liverpool have had an extra day's rest, it's at Anfield, smaller pitch. I'm just inclined to think that the option is there for the first time, for Liverpool to actually dominate the the proceedings against the Guardiola team, which is weird, which is be mad. Because mm. um, if you look at the starting 11s, I think now the starting 11s are fairly equal. Whereas in the past, Klopp's had the the slightly weaker team. We have Fabinho now for the first time starting against City. He's not started against City yet. Trent is now one of the best playmakers in the division. He wasn't last year. And I just think Liverpool, Klopp maybe has to has to toy with the the option of. Do we go into this full press and play against it to team like Norwich almost? But obviously you've got the massive threat that City have got high quality players. They can just they can break break through with press, and then if they do, they're on your last line very quickly and stuff like that. But it's just an option. I don't think we've ever had before against City. Mm. I'm, I'm uneasy a little bit with that. I think uh, I think Sterling is a. Uh, Josh's mic has gone again. Yes, no, no I finally witnessed it in person. <laughs> no one hasn't. We're back in business already. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, Sane's quick, the quickest, but Sterling's very quick as well, isn't he? That's the only thing that we can say. He is, but I think, he's, I think he's less quick over a long distance as Sane. I think Sane's a proper, like... Pace merchant. The full pitch. He could literally start the full pitch yeah. like, like a Gareth Bale. Yeah. Sterling, I think, is a bit more of a seller in terms of short burst and things like that. It's definitely still a threat there, obviously. I'm not saying we could pen them in like we could pen Barca in because Barca just had a complete lack of speed. What I will say is I noticed in... Obviously, we're recording Thursday, so Champions League games last night. I did notice that City, for the first time in a long time, in that second half against Atalanta, I saw them relinquishing possession of the ball, which is something I've never seen. I, 
I feel like once you start doing that, that be, you you be, you're prone to do it a lot. Do you mean more. willfully or or just because they were the sloppily? No, no, it felt like they were. Yeah, they they couldn't really. It, it was it, elements of sloppiness, but then that then feeds into willful kind of letting the ball go and you know give. <laughs> Sorry, these um, microphones. Eh? Yeah, um, you threw me off there, Josh. To be honest, but yeah, it was something to do with City anyway, possession. <laughs> Yeah, but I just think it's—I think it's an interesting angle because this one, if it goes as, as it has in past times, you know, Klopp's obviously inclined to give Guardiola the ball and say, "Go on, take your risks, and we'll punish you." And Guardiola, because he's a possession-oriented coach, is inclined to just say, "Fine," but just there's, a, there's part of me that just thinks maybe this one, Klopp, especially after last year losing the lead by a point, having a six-point lead. Part of me just thinks maybe Klopp will just think, you know what, we'll go for it. We'll I was, just I was gonna, absolutely steamroll. I was going to say that it's one of two things here, isn't it? I think it's almost that, and I'm leaning towards that, and, and almost sort of the 4 3 17 18 style. Mm. Because what you've what you got to remember about that game as well, you know, in the NFL, they call it garbage time. You know, City scored two in garbage time. It ultimately was a 4 1. Yeah. You know, I know that sounds a little bit silly, but, you know, oh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 we're the goals were never going to bridge to they're a in result. Dead time, yeah, they're yeah. in dead time. Although they do obviously have one last attack of 4 3. You go, and if this goes in, I'm, I'm in the Mersey. But <laughs> there's, the, there's, there's that possibility of, of them just going all the 3 0, you know, like they did. Is there also a possibility slash danger of Jürgen Klopp overthinking this? Well, what I was thinking then was, you know, when we think of those games where he has gone more conservative, you know, you think of probably, certainly the the old Trafford visit in The top six away, basically. Yeah, the top six away, you know, maybe even to an extent, I don't know, Goodison maybe, just those big emotional games. He overthinks them and the results never seem to follow, do they? The results always seem to be... uh, a bit of a disappointment it doesn't seem to come off does it so to, to be fair though I don't recall many occasions at all where he's done that at Anfield um, no I think that's he, yeah, that's, yeah no, he's inclined he's, he's, been, he's been much more inclined to go for it at Anfield even against stronger opponents probably only City last season It's yeah it's just City I think Klopp has a lot of respect for how City build the game and although he's fully if he welcomes the high press most weeks, I think he's again the whole risk versus reward thing. If you press a team that's as good as building out as City are, and they beat that press, and you've got Aguero, Sterling, Mares running at your back line, that's going to be a problem. So I just think Klopp's been inclined in the past to sit behind the ball, wait for a mistake, and then pounce. And it's worked up until last year. I'm just not sure of it. It's just a really interesting question to ask as to whether he'll do it again because City have got weaker defenders at the minute, or whether he'll think, you know, what we'll go for it, we'll pen them in. Like the thing, this of, is our yeah. own home kind of thing. City are not going to be this week again next time they meet Hardy in the league. And yeah, it'll be the Etihad. Uh, yeah, so and it'll be the Etihad. Supremacy it anyway. is the only chance for him to go. You know what? Let's pretend. Although it, it's not that simple. Let's kill the, the title race. You know, nine points clear with twenty odd games. Although we know it's not that straightforward. It would psychologically be huge. So I don't know. It, it's strange. I feel like Klopp maybe a couple of years ago might have done that. I don't know. if He's just a little bit. I don't more. know. Do we think the, the Do we think the risk is worth the reward? So ultimately, what I'm asking here is: Is it worth? 
going forward an eye point gap and, and, and increasing the probability or possibility of the three point gap if you see what I mean yeah no I 100% get it my issue is I'm I'm confident that just purely because of how crammed the fixture is Liverpool are probably going to drop points over this December January yes. time just because it's it, it, I couldn't imagine a sad no it's so ruthless the, yeah. the calendar that they've got you know it's a uh, Six points. Six points is a much nicer cushion. If three points plus the psychological edge that goes with it, I feel like that just changes the balance completely. And even if, you know, I imagine City will probably overtake Liverpool at some point because they're going to be away, aren't they? But Liverpool have games in hand. If it, uh, that that in itself is just a real kind of you know, a thing to weigh on your shoulders, and I think the six point cushion is so much more important to maintain then potentially going for that extra nine Liverpool, Liverpool have experienced this themselves in 2008-2009 when United go away to Japan because yeah. they're the uh, champions of Europe and they play in the whatever the old iteration of the Club World Cup was back then and you know it, it was one of those weird things where Liverpool go top I think the top of Christmas Um but they're always, United have always got those games in hand and you can always argue, well, would you rather have the games in hand? Would you rather have the games on the, the points on the board? I think Liverpool have found out on both occasions recently when they've sort of, well, all three occasions, mm. 08, 09, 13, 14 and last season, that you'd, you'd probably rather have the, the games in hand because, mm. and, and it can almost provide a false narrative where, you know, again, Liverpool in, in 2008, 2009, you know, Raf was cracking up and, mm-hmm. you know, you were, you were top of the league and it was like, well, mm. Yeah, well, United always had those games in hand. Yeah. Liverpool would go within a point of Man United at the top of the table, but United would have two games in hand mm. still or a game in hand. If Liverpool can get back from Qatar, and I think they'll probably have one, maybe two games in hand. I'm not sure how the fixture list works. And they're still ahead of City, yeah, as that, you say. That's that's massive, especially massive. because they've still got to go to the Etihad. Yeah. Um, so that would be that would be huge for Liverpool. Yeah, I think I think you mentioned you mentioned the risk versus reward there and whether it's worth it or not this time. I I completely appreciate why in the past we haven't gone full full clop against City because the, as I said, they're so good at playing through you. You have to calculate that risk the same whether it's worth it and things like that, but I just think this time, for maybe the first half hour, I'd be inclined to I would be inclined to go for it. I'd be inclined to just absolutely be all over them as much as you can. Use all your energy if you almost pen them in. Persistent crosses coming from the likes of Trent, and just turn it into a pinball match because they don't like it. We do like it. We've beat them in the past by doing that. Um, and I, I just being, I just like to see how they cope and how how good we are at doing that because I haven't seen us do it. Properly since maybe Arsenal at home, but we did it. We did it immaculately against Barcelona in both legs. Well, not not so much in the second leg, but we didn't have to. We didn't have to play in the second leg. In the first leg at the new Camp, we did it flawlessly. They just could not get out. And I think if we if we were to do that again, considering they haven't got the pace of Sane on the break, they haven't got Laporte in defence, few makeshifts uh, here and there. I'd just like to see it. I think. It becomes, Although it's a huge risk, it becomes a proper points per game thing. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, I def, I, I, I'm probably when you you think about Qatar, I'd, I'd lean towards your side in terms of six points is is, is 
probably something that you, you have and you hold. But it becomes a points per game sort of mathematical equation at some point where, let's say Liverpool win this, that's nine points. Um, even if Man City were to win the the game at the let's say actually no let's say they draw so basically let's so let's 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 remove that game so 12 games played so there'll be 26 left 25 you dis, discount the return game mm-hmm. in the Etihad that'll be nine points to make up basically that's almost I'm, I'm not great at maths and, and someone will say but that feels like it's almost a point per game more mm. over the course of the rest of the season maybe not quite that yeah. but it feels like City have got to be at a level more than the 100 point season to, so, to sort of catch Liverpool at that point so yeah. the, the next time we face City at the Etihad we, we face City and then there's six games left mm. if we go to the Etihad there with six games left with a six point gap how would you feel on that day, knowing that if we lose, the gap is three points and there's six games left whereby we face Villa at home, Brighton away, Burnley at home, Arsenal away, Chelsea at home and end with Newcastle away. You, it's <laughs> Just give Chris a boat of anxiety there. <laughs> I'll be calm. Do you know what I mean though? Like, if, if the gap there, although six points sounds a lot, if the gap there is still six points, does the prospect of losing there and having a three-point yeah, gap yeah, for the remaining yeah. six games, which is just... So you basically got to... What you're saying is even if you draw this game, you've got to keep pace. But even even I, then, I'm just if, saying, you beat City, if you beat City on Sunday, you can still afford to drop, to drop three points... You can lose, you can in, lose that, in, that, in that time, yeah. You can lose twice, basically. Mm. I, just don't, I just don't like relying on other teams and I would like for us at Anfield considering the strength of us at the minute our 11 is as strong as theirs is we've got players in possession that are now for me as good as they are in terms of Fabinho coming through Trent coming through and players like that Henderson's now a box to box player whereas last season when we faced him he was R6 all the all things like that I think we can go toe to toe with these in terms of you know the ball's ours not yours kind of thing mm. Just remains to be seen whether we will. And, and, and another thing that I think we have to mention before we uh, we round up, and that is Oxley Chamberlain. I think that's another massive question as to whether he plays or not. Just because of his the influence he seems to have against City. Like in the four three, he scored first and assisted the second. When we beat them three nil in the Champions League, he scored the second. When we beat them two one in the away leg in the Champions League. He provided, I think, the assist before the assist. It's the ball through to Mane, which eventually is results in Edison. Salad. Yeah, yeah. Salah Salah gets the equaliser, yeah. yeah, and that basically sees us through. He's he played a massive part in us dominating City for a full season. Just curious as to whether you think he should be included again. I do like a, a confident Oxley Chamberlain, considering he's just scored a few goals. I think that's what you've got, and you know, touching on an earlier point where. Saying how Pep doesn't like Liverpool because of the way they are and this kind of unpredictability. I think uh, I think he he sums up that play when he's when he's when he's on top of his game. He is like that. He can dribble. He's strong. And uh, something that I was giving praise for recently that could you know this could be important in a game as tight as what we think this could be. He's got the capabilities to score goals from distance. You know, so you don't know what he's going to do on the ball when he's in that final third, potentially against. Not Edison. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's something I actually wanted to flag about that. I feel like we haven't spoke about that at all. And okay, so there may be a, a, a sense of uh, Pep Guardiola playing a little bit of mind games leading into it, but I did have a quick look at Bravo. Like going slightly off subject of Oxley Chamber, we'll come back on to him in a sec. But over his last three games, he's faced eight shots and conceded four goals, <laughs> which is which is basically what City are doing in general, yeah, isn't it? Exactly, like it's, it's, very, yeah. it's very on brand. And he can't, you know, we saw last night when he got sent off, he, he doesn't read the game as well as Edison mm. in terms of acting as a sweeper with their high line. You know, he doesn't know when but, to come out when he does, he looks panicked and. Put it this way, if he plays and we don't go for it, we're missing a trick. Okay, yeah. If he plays, we should turn it into a basketball match. I'll be I I have to say if he plays, I'm more inclined to agree with what you say about just going all out forward because that would you'd have a weak defence with a weak goalkeeper as well. So yeah, okay, fair if he plays. But I'm gonna be honest, I've got a feeling I put me non existence house. On a on on, on either some plane, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I so do yeah, have yeah, a house. Yeah. I just don't. Yes. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, and you're not going to bet it either. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. I don't think my landlord would be happy <laughs> there if, if I did that. And if if I also had to put a bet on, I'd, I'd put a bet on Ox starting on the bench. Personally, I, I think, would, I but, think, I'd, but I'd start. Him. Well, I'd, be, I would start him as well. But I think he'd, he'd be good uh, an impact player, though, don't you think? To come yeah, on, yeah, he would. He would. To be fair, yeah. Um, so we do need to kind of round up now. We've gone over time a little bit, so we will we will end on. Verdict. This is a tricky one. Should we do scores and sorts of teams? Do you reckon? Because yeah, there's, there's a lot of. Do you want to go first? Oh, all right then. Good. Um, so I was actually I was talking and there was a piece on Liverpool.com by Dan Morgan. A um, little bit of cross promotion there. <laughs> um, I'm sure he listened as well. He, he does. Good lad. Yeah, Thanks we, we cross streams. Um, so ultimately, he's got this theory that Liverpool's team against Leicester was a drive run for the team against Liverpool against Man City, mm. uh, with the idea that he reckons Mane starting on the on the right, he reckons Firmino starting on the left, and Salah starting up front. And I'd, I'd, I'd say have a read of it; it's a really interesting. He thinks Milner's going to play, and the idea there is that you're pretty much you're isolating Mane up against whoever it is, Mendy or, or whoever. But what you can also do is pretty much have Salah and Emma's up front uh, and then sort of have Firmino, Milner and... <coughs> let's figure this out. Firmino, Milner and Robertson almost as this sort of like box to stop De Bruyne, mm. which is interesting as well. Yeah. Um, it's worth a read. I'm not really selling it very well, but it's, it's a really interesting oh, yeah, theory. Definitely. Um, so that's I, I don't think that's going to happen but I think it's a really interesting idea um, especially the idea of, of James Milner playing um, so you know and, and also Mane not playing on there because it, he feels that Guardiola is going to pretty much try and stop Mane in this game and it'll completely and utterly yeah. mess, mess with them I don't think they'll do that I think it'll be Fabinho I think it'll be Henderson I think it'll be Wijnaldum um, and yeah. I think Liverpool win Lovren Lovren as well yeah and he loves Lovren against Man City I think Lovren will play yeah Yeah, but I mean it, I think he probably wouldn't if Matip was injured but I wouldn't be surprised because he loves Klopp loves to throw Lovren in against Man City he, I think he loves that front foot aggression that he shows yeah. um, I think Liverpool win 4-1 <sighs> wow starting there aren't we go on Dave <laughs> well I've been making a point of saying that I don't want to become like a, a Mark Lawrence-esque Character of just <laughs> backing Liverpool to win every Being week. But, yeah. <laughs> it has been hard because you know you expect them to win every week. This week I actually don't. 
I, uh, I, I can see it being a two-all draw. I think City will take the lead. I think uh, Liverpool will be the better team on the day, but I just fancy it to, to be a very entertaining two-all draw. I think Klopp will go with his tried and trusted 11. Um, Wijnaldum, Fabinho, Henderson in the midfield, Lovren at the back. I think Pep will go for his tried and trusted 4-2-3-1, which he used both times against us last season. Albeit without Laporte and without, well, we don't know about David Silva. So what? No, Silva's probably out. But again, but even if he's out, I think Bernardo will just fill in there and and someone you know they've, they've got ridiculous plays. I wouldn't trust Pep if he told me that screen was no, 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 <laughs> yeah. blue, blue. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the graphics going to be <laughs> yeah, on top of this. Say, well, it's not going to be the cool that we're looking at. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, breaking down the four four. You know, like. <laughs> no, but I I think the score is impossible to predict without knowing how each coach will perceive yeah, it in terms true. of a must win or not whether Klopp will go for it or not but he did say today I think that he expects it to be tight whether he's playing mind games or not I don't know but if he does expect it to be tight that suggests that he's not going to go full throttle and he's going to use a similar approach to last year or whatever but I'm going to go for 2-1 Liverpool Who's the playing midfield just just out of it let's say Silva does miss out and Rodri can play, but is you know sort what I'm of. To, I'm looking now. You go Gundogan. Last, you last go night Gundogan. for me was their team. Last last night, apart from one or two players. So last night they went for Edison, Mendy, Fernandinho, Stones, yeah, um, Cancelo, and then I think they'll go Gundogan, Silva. Um, the phone's gonna come in at some point, you know. No, sorry. I think they'll go a midfield two of Gundogan, De Bruyne, David Silva as a ten. In this, sorry, Bernardo Silva as a ten in in the David Silva role that he played against us last year. Sterling Maris on the flanks, Aguero up front. That's what I think. What a great team that. And I think <laughs> it's, last it's like, but no, it's no. not. It's as you said about the aura. Yeah. It's not. Obviously, oh, yeah. they've got injuries. You know, mm. they, they've obviously got injuries, but it just. I don't know. Do I underrate Gundogan? I don't know. No, I don't think you do, mate. Just want to flag that. I think at some point that Foden's going to come on the pitch. That's interesting, that. Mm. I would like to flag one more thing as well on set pieces because City used a very interesting set piece against us in the charity... Is it Charity Shield? Community Shield. In the Community Shield. And they scored from it. They have a new man behind the scenes now doing the work for them. Used to be at Brentford. His name's Nicholas Jove. With this being such a big match, such a low event match, I think set pieces may play a big part, but that's just a thing that I thought was worth mentioning just because of how decisive they may be. But we will have to round up anyway. We've gone well yeah, over we time. Yeah, we could keep doing this over and over. Oh, by the way, I just want to say. Yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, so let's hope Christian's prediction's right. Uh, it won't but be, but. Thanks for getting back involved, though. Yeah, no, yeah, absolute, nice one, absolute pleasure. I'll have to come back on. If Liverpool win 4-1, I'll be back on next yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will hold with, it to with that. With your lundies on your head. <laughs> we, we will hold it to that. I'll be below the desk with no kicks on. <laughs> I don't know what Dave's going to just have a cup of tea, lads, yeah. <laughs> Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, cheers, uh, mate. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and hopefully Liverpool will get a win. Go nine points clear. Thanks. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.